One man who always writes down the tips is Martin Pakula, who joins us, a former racing minister. Marty, great to see you here. How are you? Good to see you, Mick. Gee, you're looking relaxed, hey? Well, you wouldn't be surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> Out of politics. Exactly so. right. What are you actually up to these days? Um, well, I'm doing a day a week at the, uh, at the AFL on major projects. I'm, uh, I've gone on the board of Hello World. Um, I've got my own little business doing a bit of consulting and um, generally having a little bit more time to smell the roses. What's Hello World, Marty? They're a, it's a, a travel agency. Um, and with my background as, uh, as tourism minister, um, you know, I think they felt like I had something I could impart um, and so we've actually, uh, you know, had a, had a couple of board meetings and, you know, understanding the lay of the land as, as global travel boots up again. And it's great to see hundreds of delegates here, um, which is exactly what we had in mind when we, when we got the handover in Cape Town in early 2020, just before everything changed. Um, so as global travel picks up again, you know, all of those issues attendant on that are, are very interesting to me. What do you hope to hear this week? What do you, what do you want to take away from it? Obviously... In your previous role, you were very much in the in the swim with all the, the issues going on between Victoria and New South Wales and the, the lack of cooperation. That the, the tone of collaboration will, will run through this week. What with with with, with some of the, the the issues that you had had to deal, deal with as the racing minister in mind, what what do you hope comes out of this week? Oh well, I mean, I'm 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 sort of. Um a, a, a bit chastened by what's happened over the last few years. I'm a bit, I'm a bit uh, uh, un, unsure about whether that spirit of cooperation will necessarily extend to some of the more, um, you know, one-on-one conversations between Victoria and New South Wales. But in an ideal world, you'd, you'd see an industry which recognises that um, a, it's in a fight for eyeballs and the passions of people across. So many different endeavours now, sports and other activities, and it's so incredibly competitive. Um, and the need to come together in the face of that, but also the need to come together in the face of increasing challenges to racing's legitimacy and social licence. I don't think um, we have the luxury of blueing like Kilkenny Cats. Mm. Um, and, you know, I would hope that that's understood by everyone in the, in the industry nationally. I think Winfried made some of those points yesterday. Um, I'm not sure it is, though. You're a lawyer. Oh, yeah, of you are? sorts. <laughs> uh, you've gone back to uh, practising as well uh, in, a, in a small capacity. Yeah. Your view, then, on the action that Racing New South Wales have taken for the discovery of these documents and the alleged uh, anti-competitive behaviour? Yeah, well, I mean, discovery is a normal part of a court process. I'm a, I am enough of a lawyer to understand the rules of subjudice, so um, I, I, I won't comment on a court case um, that's on foot. I think that would be quite inappropriate. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to get smacked on the, on the hands by the New South Wales Supreme Court, but look, you know, it's just a... It's a symptom of a wider malaise um, and you know the thing about national federated bodies like Racing Australia is they only work if everybody wants them to work and I think what you've seen from um, other states is a frustration at the inability or the, or the unpreparedness of one jurisdiction to allow it to work What's the circuit breaker? We've been having this discussion for three years about Racing Australia and even before that there was a sense that it was a toothless tiger and, and so on as well. So it's been a long time that this has been sitting there as an ineffectual body. Yeah. What We've got this court case. We've got Robin Wishaw who's going to join us. He's going to tell us all about her frustrations. Yep. They haven't been able to get a replacement for John Massara. 
is there, is there a replacement body that could be created to just wipe this one away and then start afresh that doesn't even have components such as veto votes and that instituted in it? What, what has to happen now for it to work? Well, I think, I think that's, what, that's really what the, the basis of the, of the court matter's about. I've always had the view that the easiest way to resolve it would... First of all, all the parties have to... As I said, everyone's got to want it to work. Um, in an environment where two jurisdictions have a veto, it's incredibly easy for either of them to make it dysfunctional if they want to. You just veto everything. That's why, when I was Minister, Victoria said we'd happily forego the veto if New South Wales would do the same. They didn't want to do that. Um, I think if if everybody um, had a vote commensurate with their size but without a veto, I think that would allow... A, it would allow the organisation to function and B, it would drive consensus because you wouldn't want to be outvoted. Everyone would try to find solutions. At the moment, people aren't trying to find solutions. Now, I, I don't want to get into the, the, the specifics of what's going on in court, but I think it's, it's, it's axiomatic that if you've got an organisation which won't function, people will try and create something new that might. Um, I hope it doesn't come to that. Um, I hope that RA can find a chairman that can bring it together. I hope that um, there can be some cooperation, maybe amongst, uh, certainly amongst the two largest jurisdictions on both chair and CEO to try and find some way forward. But really what you need is you need everybody to accept and, and believe that working together is the only way forward for the industry. And I just don't think people have come to that conclusion. Would you yet. put your hand up for such a role? Well, look, I... I, I did say last July when I left the ministry that I was kind of happy to do it if people wanted me to do it. It's, it's, you know, that that hasn't occurred, and I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty busy now. Um, but I think the industry knows that I love it and that I'm, I'm always going to have its best interests at heart. If they, if if people ever approached me, I'd I'd think about it. It would depend on what I had on at the time. A lot of people ask the question why we can't have. A, a federal overview of racing in yep. this nation. What, why is that? Well, the federal government would need to want to right. take responsibility for it and then they'd need to legislate to take over that responsibility. I think it's been considered in the past. I know at one point I sort of, I came to the conclusion that it might be necessary, um, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure the federal government necessarily wants that responsibility and um, unless they do... Obviously, that won't happen. If there was a tipping point for them to suddenly become interested, could it be something... Because one of the great frustrations of Robin Wishaw and others is the lack of um, collaboration when it comes to animal welfare yep. across across the states. The Thoroughbred Breeders Australia was part of a, a, a paper that came out a year about a year ago, wasn't it, Michael? Yep. That we yep. were talking about that. and The Tom Riley led process, Yeah, the Tom yeah. and. No, speak the <laughs> nothing, uh, nothing. That was a bit eerie. Uh, nothing's happened, and it's and, and Robin Wishaw is going to tell us that that's because of Racing Australia. So, if something's to pique the interest of the federal government, could it be something as uh, important as as animal welfare? If they feel that animal welfare has been compromised, we can actually improve it, and part of that would be to create this national authority. Conceivably, I mean, a couple of things on that. I, I, I don't think we should underestimate the work that the state. So I can speak for Victoria. Yep, yep. There's a hell of a lot going on at the Victorian level. Um, even even animal welfare at the Commonwealth level is complicated because you might recall that the something like the, the, the horse traceability scheme 
that really had to be led by agriculture because it's not just about racehorses, it's about horses across the spectrum and, and the vast majority of horses in the country aren't racehorses. So you'd need the Commonwealth not just to want to be involved at a racing level but to, but from the Department of Agriculture, want to see you know that animal welfare piece followed through across the entire breed. A catch-all um, yeah, that we're part of. Yeah, but, you know, I, yes, it, it, might, it might be a catalyst. Um, uh, and, and you'd need to have a co You need to have an understanding with the states about, you know, I, I don't think the Commonwealth's going to want to run, you know, every element. They're not going to want to run uh, the PRAs and racing integrity and wagering and all of those elements that state bodies run. So there'd need to be some understanding of what would be within the Commonwealth purview and what would remain within the state's purview. On a different matter, would you like to see the Cox Plate run after the Melbourne Cup? Uh, well, let, let me let me first say that I'm answering this purely in a personal capacity. Um, I, I think, you know, if you, if you want a, a ministerial view, talk to Carby. Um, my, my personal view of this is I'm, I'm all for innovation and I'm all for, um, you know, moving pieces of the carnival around. I think, I'd, I, personally, I'd probably draw a line at the big pillars of the carnival, Caulfield Cup, Melbourne Cup, Cox Plate. I think you would only change the order of those races with the absolute best reasons, for the absolute best reasons. I think once you start making those really massive shifts, um, the risk you run is is quite considerable. It impacts on the autumn, it impacts on the preparation of horses, it impacts on the traditions and the way that every, you know, the, the three individual club carnivals have their place in the sun, plus country racing. So I'd be reluctant to move the Cox Plate to the other side of the Flemington Carnival uh, unless there was an absolutely well-described, defined rationale for it and the benefits were clear and obvious. The, the transition back to fan from being racing minister, I imagine that there was sort of it was difficult to just stand back and be a fan. Although I did see Very on the hill difficult. at Warrnambool a few times and every year mate. having having a <laughs> having a cold one. But now that you've returned as a fan, what is it that has you know when you think about what attracts me to it? What are what are the, the simple things that the, that you're finding that you're enjoying about racing now? Um, the, sa- the same things that they always did before I was minister. So um, just go- going to the track with with my mates. Um, you know, having a few bets, the smell of the mounting yard. Um, I, I like racing people, and I love being able to. I, I like being able to go to the races without someone tugging on my coat and having something they need to ask of me. That's that's very relaxing, and 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 I and I like, and I have to train myself out of worrying about mm. things. You know, I, I haven't I haven't really enjoyed a Melbourne Cup for years because I've yeah. I've been worried about you know making sure they all get round and you know. Um, uh, all of those matters. So, uh, you know, to be able to go, not worry, um, not be, um, not not be lobbied or not be uh, approached about um, things that I need to resolve, uh, and instead just be able to go there the way I always used to. With I've got a few mates that I've been going to the races with for 30 years, um, and just go with them, um, pick pick some winners, more losers, um, have a few bets and a couple of beers, and enjoy myself. It's been. Um, it's been very refreshing. Where where's the Melbourne Cup position now in the consciousness of Australians and Melbournians and so on? I know that there's been some perception that the internationalisation of it has sort of taken it a little bit away from the community spirit, and uh, the fatalities have uh, been quite jarring for the yep. relationship between racing and the outside world. What do you think the Melbourne Cup needs to 
work on the basics a bit to re- slightly reposition itself again? But possibly, and I think I think I think some of that started to happen. So, you know, there there might be a happy coincidence between the efforts to ensure greater safety and a return to more well-known local stayers. And, and they may not be Australian, New Zealand bred quite as much as they used to be, but you're seeing a lot of owners who are now purchasing horses from, from Europe and the UK and bringing them over and training them here. I think what you might... You know, I think last year there were probably too few internationals. I think there were three. Uh, I think in the past when you've had a dozen, that's too many. If you can end up in, with a situation where there's half a dozen... Um, really well credentialed internationals um, and you know 18 um, 18 sort of local quote unquote stayers where some are locally bred others have been purchased and raced here before and there's a greater um, a greater racing community buy into those runners because they've watched them run the Rams or they've watched them run the Sydney Cup or the Adelaide Cup and you've got that you know, that a bit more of that local feel again. You know, look, the problem is for the Melbourne Cup is you can never please everyone. When there are too many international runners, you have, you know, um, a number of, you know, racing commentators and, and, and old trainers will say, oh, it's, lo- it's lost its traditional feel. Um, there's, there's not enough local runners. People don't have the same romantic attachment as they used to have. And then last year, when you had only three internationals, you got arguments about field quality. So they've got to try and find the sweet spot my personal view is it's probably about half a dozen internationals. Uh, we've got to let you go because you are on the first panel I am. on uh, the first day of the Asian Racing Conference. It's, it's called The Landscape, and you're speaking alongside uh, Julie Harrington, Winfred Ingebeck Bridges, uh, obviously um, uh, Katie Page Harvey as well, and yep. Eddie McGuire and Peter McGuire, and so it's a star-studded lineup. Oh well, thank you. <laughs> I'm assuming you're talking about <laughs> Katie and Eddie, and uh, and and but anyway, it'll be good. It'll be good for you know Peter, as you know, is chair of the ATC, and um, you know it, it shouldn't be assumed that all of the relationships between Victoria and mm. New South Wales are, are bad. They're not, and I even you know look, I I have a per- perfectly fine relationship with Peter Valandis on a on a personal level. I'm just um, regretful that it never translated into something more concrete in terms of action, but. You know, never say never. And just one last quick one. Steve-O wants to know, is your purview in the AFL to bring in a Tassie team? No, I don't <laughs> think it's... No, that's not my purview. But maybe um, helping with some of the infrastructure requirements um, that would make that possible um, might be something I have a few things to do with. Good to see you, Martin. Thanks, Mick.